Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 2. Some Pharisees came to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of your hard hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In the house, his disciples asked him about this again. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Some people began bringing little children to Jesus so that he would touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I tell you, whoever will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the little children in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who has wed himself to us, the church, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? When you first look at it at first glance, it seems like an easy enough yes or no question, but it is not an easy question. It wasn't in Jesus' day, and it's not an easy question to answer today, as, as you all know. And that's exactly why the Pharisees asked Jesus this question. Mark says they were trying to test him, literally trap him, tempt him. They were trying to get him in trouble in some way. Among the Jews of Jesus' day, there were two competing camps, theories about divorce and when it was allowed. There was the conservative side and the liberal side. There were the conservative followers of a rabbi called Shammai who said that the only valid reason to divorce your wife is for marital unfaithfulness, infidelity. There were the, the liberal, on the other hand, there were the liberal followers of a rabbi called Hillel, and they said, well, basically, you can get a divorce for any reason you want, even if your wife just burns supper or if you find someone better looking. The most important thing, the way to keep the law of Moses, is to just make sure you give her the piece of paper. That's what's important. The reason, eh, not really important, giving them the piece of paper, that's what really counts. I think it would be kind of fascinating to, to maybe get a, a, a group of just people from all areas of life together and ask this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? I think it would be fascinating to hear where people stand on it. Even in a Bible class, it might be interesting to pose this question for discussion. But since this is not a Bible class, and since in the end our opinions don't matter at all to God, we're going to ask the basic question, where does Jesus stand when it comes to marriage? Did alarm bells go off in your head? When you heard that question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They should have, right? That's a nefarious sounding question. It's like if your teenager who just got their driver's license uh, 
drives the car into the garage, and they come in the door, and they say, uh, Mom, Dad, what was the name of our insurance company again? You, you know, there's something wrong here. Why are you asking that question? Why would they ask if it's lawful to divorce your wife? What are you, are you, are you planning on dumping her? Do you have a re, better replacement picked out? Are you, are you feeling guilty over something you've done in the past? Why would you ask this question? They're talking about wives like we would talk about our boat or our house or our car. When, when's the right time to trade the old girl in? They weren't treating marriage the way that they should. Why were they asking this question? Well, obviously they were doing it to test Jesus, to trap him somehow, but I think what they were really trying to do was get Jesus on their side. You know, here's another rabbi. Maybe we can get him onto our side and, and, and become the more popular party. And it's shocking how regularly people try to do that, right? They try to force Jesus onto their side of a particular issue. Um, these days, where does Jesus fall on vaccines? Both sides. Where does Jesus fall when it comes to wearing masks? Both sides. Where does Jesus fall when it comes to the immigration debate, you can see him brought up on both sides. Amazingly enough, if you've paid attention to the, the abortion, new abortion law in the state of Texas, Jesus is even being brought up and placed on both sides of that issue. He is both pro-choice and pro-life. Can you imagine that? There are churches in Texas that call themselves Christian and pro-choice. Imagine if you turn on the Packer game later on today. If, if Jesus was there, he would have to be wearing one of those jerseys that's half Packer, half Steelers, right? We try to tear Jesus in half. We try to, we try to bring him into our own camp. And I, I hate to break it to you, but Jesus doesn't take sides, uh, our sides, our human sides. His kingdom is not of this world. In fact, all kingdoms of this world rest underneath his own all-powerful feet. Back to the question, where does Jesus stand on the issue of marriage? Is he liberal or is he conservative? Well, is he conservative? You bet he is. You think Moses was strict? He's nothing compared to Jesus. Moses only dealt with your outward actions in the Ten Commandments. Jesus goes right to the heart. Moses said, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, don't you even think about committing adultery. Jesus is the one who said not even the smallest letter, not even the part of a letter will disappear from the law until all of these things are fulfilled. He is very conservative when it comes to the commandments of God. Is he liberal? Well, he most certainly is when it comes to forgiveness. He tells the story of the prodigal son that's all about how liberal God is with his forgiveness that, that he would throw a party for his son who, who took the inheritance and wasted it on a life of wild living, and yet the Father welcomes him back with open arms. He's so liberal that he told Peter that among in our relationships, you're not just supposed to forgive someone seven times, but seven times seven times, 70, 70 times seven times. That's pretty liberal when it comes to forgiveness. Jesus is hardcore. He's hardcore conservative when it comes to the commandments of God. He's hardcore liberal when it comes to the forgiveness of God. Jesus' position isn't really what's at stake here. What's at stake, and the problem, was the attitude of the Pharisees' hearts. And that's where Jesus is drilling down. That's why he asks them this question that he did. You want to come at Jesus with Moses? He's going to respond 
with Moses. Come after him with the law, he'll respond with the law. What did Moses command you, Jesus asked. Now Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. He wrote a lot, and he wrote a lot about marriage. Now the question is, which of, Jesus, which of Moses' passages about marriage would the Pharisees pick up on? Well, naturally, the loophole. The, the seeming exception. The, the thing that would seem to excuse their hard-heartedness, their desire to do something other than the will of God. They loosely refer to Deuteronomy chapter 24, where Moses does appear to, to give a slight exception for divorce, a, a loophole perchance. But he's not really, if you read it, I'm not going to read it, it's kind of long. If you read it, he's not legalizing divorce. Rather, he's, by this civil law, he's getting rid of frivolous divorces, that, that you could just divorce your wife at any time and any place. And he's also providing protection for women here. Uh, Moses is in, in this Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24. You see, if, if a man divorced his wife, the automatic assumption in that culture was, well, she must have committed adultery, she's now, she's now off limits, she's filthy, no one will ever want to marry her again. And you can imagine how destitute that would make a woman. Without marriage, a woman has no source of support. And so Moses was providing protection for this woman, uh, stating that a man had to actually write down on a piece of paper why he was divorcing her so that she would be protected from stigma, so that she would be free to remarry afterwards. And that's a long way from what the Pharisees were suggesting here. Oh, yeah, Moses said divorce, it's fine. It's not what Moses was saying. They were taking the Word of God out of context and trying to twist it to appeal to their own disobedient hearts. When it comes to Jesus, though, that doesn't work. When you're trying to find loopholes and justifications and exceptions that you can pick up on and use to justify yourself, Jesus turns those loopholes into a noose around your neck. And that's what he does with his further response. He says, Moses wrote this command for you because of your hard hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus uses Moses to defeat Moses. He doesn't just go back to Mount Sinai or Moses' repetition of it in the book of Deuteronomy. He goes back to creation. He goes back to God's original intent for marriage, not to the concession that was that was instituted by Moses in order to maintain peace among the hard-hearted Israelites. And God's original intention in the Garden of Eden could not be more clear. One man and one woman for life. That is God's intention for marriage, period. No exceptions, no loopholes. But what Jesus is really doing here is trying to increase the Pharisees in our, I think, appreciation for what a wonderful, wonderful thing marriage really is. I don't think he's necessarily trying to come down hard on them with the law, but to open their eyes to see what a blessing from God it is. And, and that's what the Pharisees are missing, and that's what people who want to debate about the, the, the validity of divorce or, or, or if they've uh, been faithful in their marriage enough, that's what we miss when we think of marriage as... as a law-based thing, 
as, as a burden that we must bear rather than a blessing, a good blessing from God. And, and Jesus wants to open their eyes and ours to see what the essence of marriage really is. I, I, don't, I hope it doesn't seep into our hearts or our minds, but our world thinks that marriage consists of a ceremony, a piece of paper, a, a marriage license, um, making your vows here. But mo- mo- what's the most important part of marriage in our world? The reception. Right? Those are the things that our world considers to be the essence of marriage. And that's not true at all. But if you think that way, you can, you can just talk, rip marriage up as easily as you'd rip up any other contract, can't you? You can get rid of the ceremonial parts of it. You can go back on your vows. You can uh, get rid of the legal aspect of it. All you need is a good lawyer. You just need a court order and, and poof, it's gone. But Jesus makes it clear that, that that's not the essence of marriage, and and you can't get rid of marriage that easily because marriage is not a man-made thing. Marriage comes from God. The essence, the, the unique part of marriage is the two becoming one flesh. You can, you can delete the video of your reception, you can go back on your vows, you can tear up the marriage license, but you cannot destroy the two that God has made one flesh. That is the essence of marriage. The only thing that destroys that bond is death. And death is not our business. Death is God's business. Because they failed to pick up on the essence of marriage, they also failed to see the blessings of marriage. In confirmation class, we talk about the three C's. As, as the blessings of marriage. We talk about how God intended to bring children into this world through marriage. I don't care what the world says about two men or two women raising children. God intends children to be raised by one man and one woman. He created marriage and he intended it to be a source of chastity. That is, a, the proper place where we should exercise our natural sexual desires and instincts. That's where God wants that to take place and also for companionship. And I know many of you in here have been married 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. We even have a family that's not here 63 years, I believe. Companionship, lifelong companionship. There aren't any other relationships in our lives that are like that. You're not as close to your parents or to your children or to your best friend as you are to your spouse. What a blessing that is. But even those blessings come pale in comparison to the greatest blessing of all, the fact that God intends marriage to lead us to Christ. The fact that a husband is to imitate Christ in his sacrifice and the wife is to imitate the church in her submission is to lead us ever closer through life as we grow closer to one another to grow closer to Christ. And that's the the real, the, the greatest blessing of marriage. That we can help each other every day by forgiveness through our prayers, through reading the Bible, through our devotions, to be drawn ever closer to Christ. But when you're arguing about justifications for divorce or loopholes that allow you to to pull the ripcord on your marriage, you miss all that. You don't see what an amazing blessing marriage is. After this whole explanation, Jesus' disciples were a little bothered. It's hard to say why they were bothered. Maybe they were a little bit guilty. Maybe some of them had been divorced in the past. Maybe, maybe they were just thinking, you know, 
Jesus, you're not married. Maybe you don't really understand how difficult marriage really is. But in any case, they, behind closed doors, they ask him to expand on it. And Jesus doesn't step back at all. In fact, he doubles down on what he had said before. He says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. He doesn't back off at all. And he's very clear here. And maybe you're aware of the other exceptions that are provided for in Matthew chapter 19 and 1 Corinthians 7. The exceptions provided in the New Testament for divorce are desertion or marital unfaithfulness, cheating. Other than that, there are no exceptions. You can't justify your divorce because you fell out of love. You can't justify your divorce because uh, you lost a child or, or some other tragic thing. There There are only those two justifications. And Jesus says, if you are divorced for any other reason, anything else you can concoct, it's nothing less than adultery. The disciples are shocked. Most of the other teachers, I mentioned Hillel and Shammai before, they disagreed on what was a valid reason for divorce, but what they both agreed on was, oh, you can get a divorce, you just need the right reason. And Jesus says, no, that was never God's intention from the beginning. Divorce has never been part of God's plan. You didn't hear a a word about divorce in Genesis chapter 2, did you? But they were seeking to justify themselves. The disciples were even. Um, Matthew records their response to Jesus. Matthew says that the disciples said, if this is the relationship of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They thought, so marriage is so difficult, and there's no escape hatch, there's no way out. Well, it would be better off Just not to marry, just to stay single. You know who else uses that as a justification today? Couples who want to live together outside of marriage. And they say, well, you know, I've seen plenty of divorces in my family, how painful they are, how they ruin a family. It's better off to just live together and not get married rather than getting married and getting divorced later. That's not at all what Jesus is saying here. You can't avoid marriage in in order to avoid breaking the sixth commandment. That's what always happens, though, with legalists. They seek and search for loopholes and exceptions. But Jesus, when he correctly explains the law, it ends up being a noose around their neck. That's a lot of hard talk about divorce and about marriage. But here's the bottom line. Here's where Jesus wants to lead us. He didn't come into this world to save marriage from all of the creative ways that we have developed to destroy it. He didn't come into this world to stop the United States Supreme Court from legalizing same-sex marriage. He certainly didn't come into this world to condone or place his blessing on adultery or divorce. He came into this world to seek and to save what was lost. He came into this world to save everyone who has sinned against the Sixth Commandment, both the unmarried and the married and the divorcee and the widow. He has come to save who we might consider conservatives and liberals regarding this issue. He, just think about the people he dealt with, the, especially the women he dealt with who struggled with this issue of marriage and divorce. Think of the Samaritan woman at the well who had five husbands and was now living with a sixth. Jesus came to save her. Think about the the woman that the the Pharisees dragged down in front of Jesus and they were just about to to throw stones at her, to stone her to death. 
And Jesus sent her away forgiven, acquitted. He said, I don't, I don't condemn you either. Jesus has come to save sinners. The people who maybe went a little bit far, maybe crossed the line when they were dating one another, Jesus came to save them. The people who have, in God's eyes, at least broken their marriage by viewing filthy images, pornographic images on the internet, or by flirting a little too much at work, or by daydreaming about the one that got away, Jesus came to save them from their sins. And yes, Jesus came to save those who have been divorced, whether innocent or guilty, Jesus came to save sinners. The reason Jesus brings this up, the reason he gets into this topic of marriage and divorce, is not to show us how we can justify ourselves by how we have lived in divorce or how pure we have been and faithful we have been in our marriage or any other loophole. In other words, he's not explaining the law of God to show us how we can obey God and thereby earn heaven because we cannot. There's no one in this room who has kept the sixth commandment perfectly. It doesn't matter what your marital status is right now. It judges and condemns us all. Jesus didn't come to justify our sin. He came to justify us. He came to become our sin to take it to the cross for us, to become the adulterers, the murderers, the thieves that we all are, so that we may be judged righteous in God's eyes. He came to obey the law, including this sixth commandment perfectly for us because we never could, so that we could be free. So that we don't act like these Pharisees and these disciples searching for loopholes, searching for a way to justify ourselves before God because we can't. And you don't have to. Because Jesus already has. However, whenever, however many times you've broken the sixth commandment in your life, Jesus has paid for every one of them. There's no more need to look for justification. No more need to rationalize in your own mind that it was the right thing to do. Jesus has made you right with God. And so, it comes down to this. If you come to Jesus, if you come to his word expecting to find justification for your sin, you're not going to find it. You're just going to find yourself damned. But if you come to Jesus, hands empty, just, just your sins, only your sins to offer to him, then that's exactly the type of person Jesus will accept. Then you're in the exact right place. If you're the first type, if you're seeking to justify yourself, if you still hold an excuse in your mind for, that you did the right thing when it comes to the Sixth Commandment, I have to say you probably shouldn't come up to communion today. Because if you're trying to justify yourself before God, then you don't need the justification that Jesus provides here. But if you come with nothing but your sins, then please, please come forward. Because here Jesus reinforces His love for you. He, he proposed to you in baptism. And here when you come to communion, He repeats to you over and over again, I love you, I love you just the way you are. And He, he proves that using children. Right? It's interesting that The disciples wanted to shoo the children away, and Jesus was having none of it. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I tell you, whoever will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. I think there are two things here. Parents, 
grandparents, all of us as members of the Christian church. You want to know how Jesus feels about you making up excuses to keep his children away from him, away from Sunday school, away from daily devotions, away from memorizing Bible passages and learning their catechism? You want to know how Jesus feels? He was indignant. And that word doesn't even do justice to the Greek. He was angry. I was about to use a naughty word there. He couldn't be more angry than with parents who keep children away from him. A stern warning to all of us. But also there's this marked contrast, right? Here are the wise Pharisees and the clever disciples thinking they can pull one over on Jesus. They can justify themselves in his eyes. And Jesus says, get out of here. I'm not interested in your justifications, your loopholes, your excuses. I'm here for these snotty little bratty children who know they have nothing to offer. That's how we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus with baby faith as little children, having nothing to offer, needing everything, especially the forgiveness of sins. And that's just where Jesus wants us to be. So is Jesus a liberal or a conservative? Where does he stand on this issue of marriage? And I would have to say at this point, he's both and he's neither. He's both. He's very conservative when it comes to upholding God's will regarding marriage. He's amazingly liberal when it comes to forgiving our sins against that gift of marriage. But he's never going to allow liberals to pervert or distort or change God's will regarding marriage. And he's not going to allow any conservative to say, here, Lord, here is my marriage. Here has been my behavior within marriage. I present it to you as a self-justifying sacrifice. He's not going to allow that to fly either. So thank God that our salvation doesn't depend on our marriages or how we've treated our marriages, but rather on a different marriage, the marriage that Christ has given to us in the sacrament of baptism. We can make quite the mess of marriage, as we all know, but no one, Nothing, not even our own sin, can break our marriage to Christ. In his name, amen.